This is 365 Tech by Sweets. Today, we are on part two of our 12-part series examining the book The Inevitable, Understanding the 12 Technological Forces That Will Shape Our Future by Kevin Kelly. Yesterday, we looked at becoming, and today, we're on to the second technological force, cognifying. Cognifying is the concept that everything, and I mean everything, is being added intelligence to it. There's nothing as consequential as a dumb thing made smarter. And this is going to lead to the corollary that the first genuine AI is going to be the superorganism of a billion computer chips known as the net. While a lonely off-grid AI can be used by a company to try to promote a specific niche, it can't learn as fast or as smartly as an artificial intelligence built off 7 billion human minds, quintillions of online transistors. In addition to that, you've got hundreds of exabytes of real-life data and then the self-correcting feedback loop of society. The best part about this technological force is it's already here. Cognification is already here. Consumers can just tap into an always-on intelligence directly. And then in addition to that, they can also interact via third-party apps which harness that AI cloud. Cognifying looks like AWS or the Google Cloud Platform. It's cheap, it's reliable, and it's industrial-grade digital smartness that's built behind everything. Me, as a developer, and business owners, and crafters, makers, and builders, we can plug into the grid and get AI as if it's electricity. It's easy to add artificial intelligence to any application, and once you do, not only are you feeding into the system, that is in not only are you improving that system but you're also benefiting every single input that you make is copied by hundreds of other people also making updates to their own and everybody is functioning on the same artificial intelligence cloud which is continuing to get smarter based off the data that's being fed into it in fact the the business plans of the next 10,000 startups Kelly says are easy to forecast you just take X and add AI you find something that can be made better by adding online smartness to it. Some of these unlikely realms that are waiting to be cognified include cognified music, music that can be created in real time by algorithms, cognified laundry, clothes that tell the washing machine how they want to be washed, cognified marketing. The amount of attention an individual reader or watcher spends on an advertisement can be multiplied by their social influence. Cognified real estate, matching buyers and sellers via an AI that can prompt renters who liked this apartment will also like X. Cognified nursing. Patients outfitted with sensors that track their biomarkers 24 hours a day can generate highly personalized treatments that are adjusted and reflected, uh, refined daily. The cognified construction. Imagine project management software that is smart enough to take into account weather, traffic delays, currency exchange rates, accidents, in addition to design changes. Cognified ethics. Robotic cars need to be top priorities and behavior guidelines. Cognified toys. Toys more like pets. Cognified sports. Smart sensors and AI can create new ways to score and referee sporting games by tracking and interpreting subtle movements and collisions. And then cognified knitting, because who knows, it's, it's going to be here. Cognition is coming to every realm that it doesn't already exist in, if it doesn't already exist there. Adding any amount of intelligence to something is going to make it significantly better. Now, I know what you're thinking. Sweets, scientists have been promising us artificial intelligence for the past 60 years. What's different? Well, scholarly listener, I'm glad you asked. Kevin Kelly suggests 
three major breakthroughs that have happened in artificial intelligence that make this new cognification possible. The first is cheap parallel computation. Thinking is an inherently parallel process. We've got billions of neurons in our brain that are constantly firing to form ideas at a higher level. The primary architecture of AI software also requires many different processes to take place simultaneously. Each node of a neural network loosely imitates the neurons in the brain, mutually interacting with the neighbors to make sense of the signals it receives. The second is big data. Every intelligence has to be taught. Even the best programmed computer has to play at least a thousand games of chess before it gets good. Andrew Ang explains it in this way. AI is akin to building a rocket ship. You need a huge engine and a lot of fuel. The rocket engine is the learning's algorithm, but the fuel are the huge amounts of data we can feed into those algorithms. The third breakthrough is better algorithms. Digital neural nets were invented in the 50s, but it took decades for computer scientists to actually learn how to tame the large amount of data and the large amount of relationships between a million or a hundred million neurons. The key was to organize neural nets into stacked layers, to take relatively simple tasks, um, and then to continue to build up features into more and more abstract layers. Take the task of recognizing that a face is a face. Um, when a group of bits in a neural net is found to trigger a pattern, like the image of an eye, the result is it's an eye is moved up one more level to the neural net for further parsing. It takes each of the individual subcomponents and then brings those up the stack to more and more abstract concepts that we can understand and can actually utilize. The bigger a network gets, the more attractive it is to new users, which increases its size, making it even bigger and thus more attractive. And so the loop goes on. The more people who use an AI, the smarter it gets. And the smarter it gets, the more people who want to use it. This network effect continues with artificial intelligence. So as a result, our AI future is likely to be ruled by an oligarchy of two to three large general purpose cloud-based commercial intelligences. Right now, these players are playing out to be AWS, Amazon, and Google, and potentially Microsoft. That's kind of the big three right now. And in the individual activities that we do throughout the day, we have the option to participate unassisted as our human self, or we can act as a hand for our super smart assistant computers, or we can play as a centaur, which is a human AI cyborg. For example, today the best chess player alive is a centaur. It goes by the name of Integran. It's a team of several humans and several different chess programs. Here's the coolest part about AI being introduced into the chess scene. Rather than diminishing the performance of purely human chess players, the opposite trend has happened. Cheap, super smart chess programs have inspired more people than ever to play chess at more tournaments than ever, and the players get better and better than ever. Top chess players are now training against AI and using AI as tools to improve their own performance, augmenting their own skills and increasing their own intelligence. Which brings us to the next point. In the next 10 years, 99% of artificial intelligence that you're going to interact with directly or indirectly will be nerdly narrow, super smart specialists. We want our self-driving cars to be inherently focused on the road, not obsessing over an argument it had with the garage. The synthetic Dr. Watson at our hospital should be maniacal in his work, 
never wondering whether it should have majored in finance instead. What we want, instead of conscious intelligence, is artificial smartness. Our most premium AI services are likely going to be advertised as consciousness-free. We'll be able to build more and more minds, each specializing in their own form of thinking that is unique and specific to them. But each of these intelligences are connected to the global net and able to be assisted and provide assistance to other intelligences. As we build more and more synthetic minds, we're going to come to realize that human thinking is not general at all. It's actually only one species of thinking. In a super-connected world, thinking different is a source of innovation and wealth. Just being smart is not enough. And as a result, we're going to continue to create new kinds of minds that are able to think in incredibly specific ways. Some of the minds that Kevin Kelly lists are a mind just like a human mind, just faster in answering. This is the easiest kind of AI to imagine. A very slow mind composed primarily of vast storage and memory. A global supermind composed of millions of individual dumb minds in concert with each other. A hive mind that's made of many smart minds, but unaware that it's a hive. A mind trained and dedicated to enhancing your personal mind, but useless to any other person. A mind capable of imagining a greater mind, but incapable of making said mind. A mind capable of creating a greater mind, but not self-aware enough to actually imagine it. A mind capable of successfully making a greater mind once. A super logical mind without any form of emotion. A mind that takes a long time to develop and requires a protector mind until it matures. A mind of cloning itself exactly many times quickly. A mind capable of cloning itself and remaining in unity with its clones. A mind capable of immortality by migrating from platform to platform. This list is endless, and I've only explored a couple of the options that Kevin lists. The point is, as we continue to move into this age of cognification, we're going to see that human thinking is just one form of thinking and that many other kinds of thinking exist. As we're able to harness these, we'll be able to do our own human type of thinking better. But our ability to think and imagine these new kinds of minds are going to be one of the first tasks that human does. And so this brings me, I kind of overlapped, into my next point. What are humans for? As we continue to create new ways for these artificial intelligences to think, they're going to force us to reevaluate our roles, our beliefs, our goals, even our identity. What are humans for? The first answer Kevin believes is that humans are for inventing new kinds of intelligences that biology could not evolve. Our job is to make machines think differently. But we'll spend the next three decades or maybe up to a century, in this permanent identity crisis, continually asking ourselves what humans are good for. That's one of the benefits we'll get from having this AI, though, is that AI is going to help define our humanity. We will need AIs to tell us who we are. We've got these preconceived notions of how an intelligent robot should look and act, and these can blind us from the reality that's already happening around us. Humanity is working on building a general purpose machine that other workers can set up themselves and work alongside with. Once we can co-work with these robots right next to us, it's inevitable that our tasks are going to bleed together and soon our old work will become their work and our new work will become something that we can hardly even imagine. This cycle of replacement 
happens in four main relationships with robots. It, there are four categories of our relationship with artificial intelligences. The first, jobs that humans can do, but robots can do even better. Humans can weave cloth, but automated looms make perfect cloth by the mile for a few cents per pound. Autopilot is able to fly a 787 jet unaided for all but seven minutes in a typical flight. Much of our tax preparation has gone to computers. Routine x-ray analysis has gone to computers. All of these were once done by highly paid smart people, and we've accepted our utter reliability in robot manufacturing. Second, jobs humans can do, but robots can't. Humans have trouble making a single brass screw, and we also have trouble making a single computer chip. These and others are jobs that humans have a very hard time doing, but robots are able to do very easily. Third, jobs we didn't know we wanted done. Today, we're able to remove a tumor in our gut through our navel, make a talking picture video of a wedding, drive a cart on Mars, print a pattern on fabric that a friend mailed to us a message through the air. We're doing, and are sometimes paid to do, millions of new activities that would have dazzled and shocked the farmers of the 1800s. There are dreams created chiefly by the capabilities of machines that can do them and their jobs that the machines make up. It's a very safe bet that by the year 2050, highest earning professionals are going to depend on automations and machines that have not yet been invented. And four, jobs only humans can do at first. Think about industrialization. It did more than just extend the average human lifespan. It led to a greater percentage of the population to decide that humans were meant to be ballerinas, musicians, mathematicians, athletes, fashion designers, yoga masters, uh, fan fiction authors and anything that you can imagine. But of course, over time, machines are going to do these well also, and then we'll be empowered to dream up even more answers to the questions, what should we do? Kevin Kelly outlines the seven stages of robot replacement. All of these take place from our perspective as we typically see our own replacement being done. Number one, a robot can't possibly do the tasks I do. Two, Okay, it can do a lot of these tasks, but it can't do everything that I do. Three, okay, it can do everything I do, except it needs me when it breaks down, which is often. Number four, okay, it operates flawlessly on routine stuff, but I need to train it for new tasks. Five, okay, okay, it can have my old boring job because it's obvious that was not the job that humans were meant to do. Number six, wow. Now that robots are doing my old job, my new job is so much more interesting and pays more. Number seven, I am so glad that a robot cannot possibly do what I do now. Repeat. Cognification is not a race against the machines. If we try to race against them, we lose. It's a race with the machines. We'll be paid in the future based off of how well we work with robots. We've got to let the robots take over. Many of the jobs that politicians are fighting to keep away from robots are jobs that no one wakes up in the morning wanting to do. Today, we talked about cognification. Join me tomorrow as we go into the next technological force, flowing.